you have been with us for the last 10 weeks, we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, talking about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we've been wrestling with this kind of big idea, kind of dreaming together, what would happen if our church was not just a group of people who had been filled by the Spirit, but who were actively being led by the Spirit. So if you've been with us, we're going to wrap up this series next week, and so we're coming into the two last weeks of it, and I, I just kind of want to give you a picture of where we've been. We've spent the first five weeks together talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us relate to God in a brand new way. And so if you're with us those first five weeks, every single week we started with the same passage out of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 where we said, we pray that we would have more of the Holy Spirit so that we could know God better. And so the first five weeks was, how does the Holy Spirit change the way that we relate to God? Then we got into the next five weeks and we talked about how the Holy Spirit begins to change the way we relate with one another. So we talked about spiritual gifts and spiritual community and what happens when the Spirit of God begins to lead us and how things begin to change here. And as we come into our final two weeks, I want you to see where we're going. We're going to start wrestling with how does the Holy Spirit empower us to, to interact with those who don't yet know the Lord? And so the first five weeks, it changed the way we see the Lord. The second five weeks, he changes the way we see one another. Kind of these last couple of weeks together, how does the Holy Spirit begin to empower us to live lives for those who don't yet know Jesus? So here's my confession for you. I became a follower of Jesus about 16 years ago. And I remember right after becoming a follower of Christ, uh, I was just kind of made painfully aware of how terrible I am at sharing my faith with people that don't know Jesus. I was just is terribly um, inefficient at sharing my faith with those who didn't yet love the Lord. And yet there was this problem. Every time I'd read the scriptures, I would see this mandate from Jesus. Jesus says, you know, I want to send you out into the world. I want people to come to know me and to love me through you. And I'm like, man, that's amazing, Jesus, but I am terrible at doing that. So I remember it was about the same time that the, the church I grew up in, during high school, we got this new youth pastor, new youth minister. His name was Mike. And Mike showed up, and he just had this passion for sharing his faith with people that didn't know Jesus. And he'd stand up on Wednesday nights in front of our little youth group of about 30 or 40, and he's like, listen, you were made for more than just listening and sitting and singing. God wants to use your life. And the, the truth was, the more passionate he was, the more depressed I felt, because he would get excited about sharing his faith. And I'm like, your passion doesn't help me suck at this any less. I am still bad at sharing my faith, no matter how excited you are about it. So I remember he would stand up and he would like, come on, we're supposed to do something in the world. I remember uh, one night after he'd been sharing, I just kind of had the courage. I went up to him and I said, Mike, uh, thank you for your passion, but it is not helping me at all. Like, uh, I'm not getting any better at sharing my faith. Can you help me with this? And so he came up with this idea. He said, we'll put together a little retreat. And he took 10 of us. I think there were 10 guys. Most of us were juniors or seniors in high school. He took us away to Myrtle Beach. It was about an hour from where we grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. He took us to Myrtle Beach. He rented out this little beach condo, and he said, hey, for a couple of days, I'm just going to show you what it looks like to live on mission with Jesus or to be evangelistic, whatever the language you want to use is. And so he said, I'm going to show you what this looks like. And so for two days, we sat in this little beachfront condo, and he talked about the gospel and why the gospel is good news for those who don't love and know Jesus. And he gave us practical ideas how we could live on mission with our friends and our family and how we could share our faith. And it's kind of an amazing, inspirational two days. We got to the end of our time together. It was Saturday night around 11 o'clock, and we were getting ready to play cards and just kind of hang out, wind things down before we went to bed. And Mike said, hey, Dave, will you walk down the street with me to the convenience store? Let's pick up some snacks. Let's bring them back to the condo, and then we'll just play cards and hang out before we go to bed. So we made the two-block walk down the street. We went to this little convenience store. We're loading up on snacks. 
And in the middle of our excursion, in walks this couple. And they were in their early 20s, good-looking couple, blonde hair, terminally sunburned. They hadn't used any sunscreen, been on the beach all day, you could tell. They walk into this gas station, clearly drunk. They'd been drinking all day. They, they walk in, kind of make a scene, walk down the aisle. And between Mike and I, they, they pick up two big cases of beer out of the back cooler. And then the girl, maybe some of you heard me tell the story before. The girl yells out to the guy working behind the counter, hey, where do you keep your condoms? And all of us in the gas station felt as awkward as you feel right now that I just said that. You know, she said, so where do you keep your condoms? And he told her, and she found them, and then she raised them up, and she made a big joke in front of everybody in the store. We're like, what is going on here? And uh, so she came and gave the condoms to her boyfriend. He had the beer. They're standing there in line. She goes out to the car, and my buddy looks at me. He said, Dave, now, now's your chance. <laughs> and, and I'm like, now's, your, now's my chance for what? I'm not sharing Jesus with anybody in here. Like... <laughs> You can rest assured, not sharing my faith in this gas station. He's like, he's like, man, we've been talking about this for two days. He said, he said, now's your opportunity. I'm like, bro, I'm not doing it. He said, okay, you watch me. And so it was like that moment where you're embarrassed to be with your parents in public. You know, he's, he's walking up in line behind this guy at the gas station, and I'm just kind of sheepishly coming behind him. And the guy's standing in line, four or five deep, holding the beer, holding the condoms. And my friend, Mike, uh, who's my youth minister, puts his hand on this guy's shoulder, which is weird in and of itself. And he said, he said, hey, bro, my, my buddy Dave and I, so now I'm drugging to this. You know? <laughs> he, said, he said, my buddy Dave and I saw your girlfriend, see the beer, see the see, you know, big plans. Looks like you guys are going to have a great time tonight. Excited for you. Um, he said, but he said, if you just give me 30 seconds, he said, 30 seconds, I just have something I want to share with you. And the guy said, okay. He's totally weirded out. And uh, he said, if you'll let Dave and I take you back to our hotel, we've got 10 guys back there with you, and back, back there with this, and... If you'll just give us a chance, we will give you something tonight that that girl could never give you that will satisfy you in ways that she can never satisfy you. And I'm going, oh my goodness. This guy does not think we're talking about the gospel. You know? And uh, his eyes just get huge. And, and, and Mike realizes it. And he's like, no, no. He says, I'm talking about Jesus. And the guy's like, I'm not into him either. Like, I don't, uh, I don't want that. And there, there was no revival in Myrtle Beach that night. No, no, no baptisms, no mass conversion, nothing. The guy buys the stuff, he leaves. I'm humiliated. We're walking out of there, and we're walking back to the hotel, to the condo, and Mike looks at me. He's like, wasn't that awesome? I'm like, I'm like were we even in the same place? And there, there's this moment where maybe you've had this before, where you've, like, stepped out on a limb, and you've tried to share your faith. I've done this before, and it, and it, it goes unbelievably horrible. I mean... There have been moments where I've shared my faith, and I think people have actually gotten worse. Like, they've, they've walked away from the Lord. And yet, I remember that weekend just realizing that I didn't need a, a better system for sharing my faith, and I didn't need better words, and I didn't need better practices. What I needed was the power of God in my life. And somewhere uh, along the way, I had been convinced if only I had a better strategy, if only I had better words, then maybe God could use me. And this is what I want you to see. We're going to look at three really brief conversations that Jesus has with his disciples this morning. Um, the three conversations that he has with them about the Holy Spirit in relation to, to sharing your faith with those that don't know Jesus. And here's the big idea that Jesus is going to drive home in every single one of these conversations. He's going to remind these disciples that what they need is not a better strategy or a better sales pitch, what they need is the power of God within them and upon them so that those in the world around them can see the beauty of Jesus. That what they needed is the power of God. And Jesus is going to expose in them just how painfully, uh, how painfully inept they are 
at fulfilling the mission of Jesus, and Jesus is going to say, you're in good company because I want to send you someone. So I won't, I won't make you raise your hand, but it'd be so interesting if we just went around the room and said, how many of you feel terrible at, at sharing your faith? How many of you feel terrible at living on mission? If you feel that way, if you're like me and you sometimes just get uncomfortable, even in the midst of the conversation, you are in a great, you're in a great place because Jesus has something to offer. So Luke 24 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at just three brief conversations uh, this morning. Normally, we stay in one passage the entire time, but these three conversations are all connected to each other. And so we're going to read them as they were originally spoken. Jesus shared these conversations, these teachings with his disciples over the course of a few days after he had been raised from the dead, before he was getting ready to ascend to heaven. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 45. This is the word of God. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is what it says. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what has been written. The Messiah will suffer and he will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49. And I am going to send you the one that my father has promised. This is the key part that I want you to notice in this conversation. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So I want you to notice at this moment, Jesus has just been raised from the dead. He's talking to his disciples, and you have to remember who it is that he's talking to. He's talking to the most ordinary group of human beings you could possibly imagine. They were all high school dropouts. They were all religious duds. They had all been overlooked. They were the people who would have never been picked for your kickball team. In fact, one of the most um, controversial things Jesus did in all of his ministry was he showed up into the lives of each of these men and women and he said, I want you to follow me because nobody else would have chosen these guys to be on the team. And so all throughout the scriptures, we are like just seeing over and over and over how painfully ordinary these men and women are going to be. But I love this conversation. It's not just a conversation that Jesus is having with these ordinary men. It's a conversation he's having with ordinary men after they had just failed him in an extraordinary way. And so Jesus had just spent the last three years teaching and training and equipping these guys. He says, listen, they're going to kill me. I'm going to raise from the dead. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus had been preparing them for three years, and every one of them had just failed him. And so Jesus has just gone back and he's gathered them together after their epic failure. And he says, I still want to give you the keys to the family business. I still want to give you the mission of God. I still want to use you in the world around you. And I, I want you to notice this in Luke 24 because this is so important. Jesus debunks one of the greatest myths of missional living or of evangelism that, that has this tendency to stranglehold so many of us and keep us from doing anything. See, a lot of us believe that if we just had more experience or if we just had a deeper education that we would be more equipped to do the mission, to do the work that God has sent us out on. But Jesus looks at these disciples. Look back at Luke 24 with me. He looks at these disciples and he reminds them. He says, you have been witnesses of that which everybody has wanted to see. He says, you've had experiences that nobody else has seen. He says, he says, I called you to myself. You saw me hang on a cross. You watched me raised from the dead. You saw the sick healed. You saw the poor empowered. You've seen God do unbelievable things. Jesus is saying, listen, nobody on planet earth has had the spiritual experience that you have had. He keeps going and he says, not only have 
you had a spiritual experience. He says, you have been educated in ways that nobody else has been educated. Look back at the beginning of the verse, uh, the story in verse 45. It says that Jesus supernaturally opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I mean, just imagine this. If Jesus Christ came down and like cracked open your head and said, I'm going to download the will of God into your heart. These disciples had been given an unbelievable education They had been given an unbelievable experience. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to them. He says, listen, your education and your experience is not enough to fulfill the mission that I'm giving you. Your education and your experience is not enough to do what I'm sending you out to do. It's the reason he ends, look back at verse 49. He says, I'm sending you the one that my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So he wasn't sending the disciples out with experiences or education. He says, no, I want to clothe you with the power of God. And this is one of the most beautiful moments in Luke chapter 24, is that you see that Jesus is not surprised and he is not deterred by his disciples' inability to live on mission. And this gives me so much hope because Jesus Christ is not surprised and he is not deterred by your inability to live on mission. And so Jesus, in his grace, he exposes it. He says, listen, God wants to do through you something that you are incapable of doing. Flip over to Matthew 28 with me. Let's look at one more conversation real quickly. Page 698, Matthew 28. Page 698. It's one of my favorite portions of the scripture and I'm just going to just kind of pull out one big idea out of it. We'll, we'll come back and really hit this chapter in detail in the new year together. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start in verse 16 through 20. And so Jesus has just exposed their inability to fulfill the mission in Luke 24. In Matthew 28, Jesus is going to elevate their vision of what the mission is. And so I love this, verse 16. It says, the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. I love that verse. But then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is what I want you to do with your life. He says, So therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I love this phrase. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so in Luke 24, Jesus is going to expose their inability. In Matthew 28, Jesus is going to elevate their vision of what God still wants to do to them despite their inabilities. Have you ever noticed that when you come face to face with your own inability, you instantly begin lowering your vision for your life? And so some of you have experienced this. I remember being a kid, and if you would have stopped me in fifth grade and said, Dave, what are you going to do for a job? What are you going to do when you grow up? It's like, I'm going to be a major league baseball player. And then I got older, and I came face-to-face with my own inability. And it's like, Dave, what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. I should have studied harder. You know, just kind of this, this moment where as I saw my inability, my vision for the future began to lower. So some of you had that feeling when you came to Nashville. You, you kind of packed everything up. I'm coming to Nashville. I'm going to make it in music. And then it was just way harder than you thought. And you, you were around other people who were more talented than you. And all of a sudden, as you came face to face with your own inability, you began to lower your vision for what your life is supposed to look like. I had one of these moments on Tuesday night. My 
kids had been given this gift. It was a gingerbread house packet or a kit. Have any of you been given one of these gingerbread? Have any of you ever tried to put these things together? They were made by the devil. I mean, like, you, you look at the box, and it's like, man, we, can, we could build a gingerbread empire, you know. We could build this village. And so we get the box out, and my son Micah, he's like, let's build that one. And I'm like, of course we'll build that. And, we'll, you know, I'll add a, you want a room on the back? You know, and I'm just, I'm just like, this is going to be an amazing thing. And then I get about 30 seconds into building this gingerbread house, and I'm like, hey, buddy, what if we just, like, build a little square box and you eat all the icing? And he's like, yes. And one of the things that happened, the, the more I came face-to-face with my inability, the lower the vision became for what we were going for. And, and you would think, you know, Jesus has been around these ordinary guys who had failed in extraordinary ways. And you would think that their, inabil- their inability and their extraordinary failures would have lowered the bar on what Jesus was anticipating in their lives. But I want you to notice it's, it's the exact opposite. Jesus gets to Matthew 28, the passage that we just read. All of these guys had failed failed them. One of them had just taken his own life. That's why there's only 11 of them left in verse 16. Unbelievable brokenness, unbelievable failure. And Jesus does not lower the bar on God's vision for what he wants to do through life. He says, says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to partner with God. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want you to reach the ends of the earth. He says, this is the mandate upon the believers. It's not to fill the cannery, and it's not to reach Nashville. It's not even just to reach your neighborhood. It's to partner with God so that your life can elevate and magnify the beauty of Jesus wherever you go, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And Jesus looks at these guys who had never seen a cell phone or heard of an airplane or set foot in a car, and he says, your mission is the ends of the earth. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is a crazy thought. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we live on planet Earth where there are more than 2,000 people groups that have still never even heard the name of Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thought? It's like, how is that even possible? And I go, whose job is it to go? It's yours, it's mine. That's the mandate. And sometimes we see our own inability. You're like me, and I go, I can't even reach the guy at work. I can't even reach my next-door neighbor. Forget the ends of the earth. Jesus, would you just give me a friend that would come to church? And Jesus says, listen, the mission is not dependent upon your ability. What God wants to do through you is in spite of you. There's this beautiful moment in Luke chapter 24. He exposes. He says, listen, you can't do this. Stay in the city until you receive power from an eye. A few days later, he has another conversation. He says, let me remind you of how big and how bold and how beautiful the goal is. It is the ends of the earth. This is the thing that I keep praying. I keep praying that our church would get smaller because God would keep sending us further. And I believe even right now, the Holy Spirit is tapping some of you on the shoulder saying, now is the time to go. Now's the time to go. Maybe it's locally, maybe it's nationally, maybe it's globally. But this is the mandate of God upon the life of ordinary people who fail the Lord in extraordinary ways. So if you feel incapable of doing this, you're perfectly suited for Jesus' team. So I love this. Luke 24, he exposes their inability. Matthew 28, he elevates their vision. Flip over Acts chapter 1. This is the last conversation we'll look at. If you're using one of our 
Bibles. It's page 758, Acts chapter 1. This is the last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before he returns to heaven. Acts chapter 1, page 758. We're going to start in verse 4 together. It says, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, that's the city that they were living in, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. And so, here in Acts chapter 1, they're being reminded of that moment that we just read about in Luke chapter 24. Does that make sense? And so, he's reminding them of that. Verse 5, for John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this more next week. He says, but you will be filled, you will be overwhelmed by the power and the presence of God. Jump down to verse 8. And when this happens, you will receive, what's that word? What's that word? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. And you will be my witnesses where you live in Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And so Jesus reminds them in this short little conversation. He's getting ready to leave. He says, he says, listen. He says, you are not capable of living out the mission that I've invited you to live. So stay in the city till you get power. He exposes their inability. Then he reminds them of how big the mission is. He says, remember, it's not, it's not just here. It's not just about Nashville. It's not just about Jerusalem. He says, it's the ends of the earth. He says, the mission is far bigger than you could have ever imagined. It's far bigger than you could have ever hoped for. But I love the promise that he makes. Look back at verse 8, this beautiful promise. He says, you're incapable and the mission is far bigger, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life so that those around you can see the beauty of Jesus in you. And there's all this stuff that we could talk about in Acts chapter 1. But I just want you to see the big idea very quickly. Jesus promises not that he will send them something, but that he will send them someone. Someone, the third member of the Trinity, he says, I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes up on your life, when he comes into your life, the Holy Spirit will give you power so that those around you can see the beauty of Jesus within you. This is the grand goal of God's life through you is that wherever you go, people will see the beauty of Jesus in you. And they'll come to experience that God has come from heaven to earth, that he has dealt with their sin, that he has raised from the dead so that they can know the Father as well. And God delights in using people just like you and I. I remember when I was in college, I drove this red Jeep Wrangler. Loved that Jeep. Um, she was good to me. She died two years ago, and uh, rest in peace. And in a hard couple of years, but loved this Jeep my freshman year, her um, transmission, I keep talking about her like she's a person, sorry. We had a, not a very good relationship apparently, but um, the Jeep that died my freshman year, uh, transmission died, and I was broke. I couldn't fix it. And so one of my good friends said, just buy a book on how to fix a transmission and fix it. And I'm like, dude, I can't, <laughs> I can't even change the oil by myself. Like, you want me to, to fix the transmission? He said, just buy the book and, and read how to fix it, and you can fix the transmission on your Jeep. So I bought this book on how to fix my Jeep's transmission, and I got about 30 seconds into the process and realized, man, I cannot do this. 
So I called my friend Lee, who was just this like, amazing mechanic. He actually goes to Ethos now. He's a part of our church family here. And I called Lee, and I'm like, bro, I've gotten in over my head. I've bought this book. I have made a mess. I cannot fix it. And so Lee drove over, and for the next three days, I stood by my Jeep, and I read the book as he fixed it because he, he was capable of doing what I couldn't do. And I was thinking of that earlier this week because I think a lot of us, unintentionally, we've heard the words of Jesus, and we have misunderstood the help that he's sending. We hear the words of Jesus, and Jesus says, listen, the ends of the earth are the goal. And we go, okay, here's the book. How do we do this? And the more we read the book, the more incapable we feel. And if you know me, I'm like a proponent of reading the book. We should read the book. But you've got to understand that Jesus has sent us more than a book. Jesus has sent us himself. He has sent us the Spirit of God to dwell in you and through you so that in the midst of your inabilities to fulfill the unbelievable mission of God, The Spirit will do what only the Spirit can do. And this is what the book of Acts is all about. If if you keep reading the book of Acts, go home this week. And I don't know if you've read the rest of the story, but you should. It would take you about two hours to read the rest of the book of Acts. 28 really short chapters, basically 28 pages long. Read through it, dissect it, think about it. But what you see over and over and over through the book of Acts is that it is this divine journal. It is this playing out of what happens when ordinary people who had failed God in extraordinary ways open their lives up so that his spirit would fill their lives so that those around them could see the beauty of Jesus within them. And all throughout the book of Acts, this power being played out in their lives looks very different, but the goal is always the same. The goal is that Jesus would be made beautiful in them. So in Acts chapter 2, I'll just give you a few highlights. Acts chapter 2, this ordinary group of men filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, their words are given power so that through their words, people will see the beauty of Jesus. So Peter, who had never preached a sermon before, a fisherman, stands up and he gives the most unpolitically correct sermon in the history of humanity. And thousands of people respond to God because they see the beauty of Jesus. Why? Because the power of God was in his words. You get to Acts chapter 3. And you see the power of God being worked out through their human touch. Just as Jesus had healed the sick and raised the dead, the disciples were walking into a church service, much like ours, and there's a guy out front who needed to be healed. And they put their hands on him, and they prayed, and he was healed. And the results were that people around them saw the beauty of Jesus within them. Or you get to Acts chapter 4, and you see the power of the Holy Spirit filling their community so that people look at their community and go, man, God is touching down there. What is it about Jesus? Or you get to Acts chapter 8 and the Holy Spirit is giving them power in the midst of their suffering. So even as their lives are falling apart, people are going, man, tell us about this Jesus because we see him in your suffering. You get to Acts chapter 14 and you see the Holy Spirit giving them power in their selflessness. There's this little church that sends away their best leaders for the sake of a world that still doesn't know the Lord yet. You get to Acts chapter 19, and the Holy Spirit is giving them power in repentance. People are confessing their sins, they're sharing their lives, they're being vulnerable with one another, and the, the result is that Jesus is being made known amongst them. And over and over and over, throughout the book of Acts, you see that Jesus Christ is the great truth teller, and that he delights in filling ordinary people who had failed him in extraordinary ways with this unbelievable power so that those around them could see the beauty of Jesus within them. And I see this in the book of Acts, and I see this in our church. I'm like, guys, do you realize we're living in this? Like, this is happening. I don't know how much time I have. Okay, I just share a couple of stories with you. I think about the way that the Holy Spirit 
is filling some of you with power so that when you speak to your friends, people are coming to the Lord. It's an amazing thing uh, to, to watch. I remember uh, there's a guy who was a part of our church. Uh, he wasn't a Christian yet. He'd been coming here for two, two and a half years, going to house church, showing up on Sundays. Um, one day he was out uh, camping and rafting with some of his friends. And they were going down the river. They'd gotten out of the river. They're getting ready to camp. And one of the guys, just being a guy, runs over and pushes this guy. Uh, the non-Christian, great way to treat him, right? They run and push him into the water, just joking around. And he falls in the river. And as soon as he comes up out of the water, one of their other buddies, who had been friends with this guy for a long time, said, Hey, congrats, you're a Christian now. You've been baptized. And the, the guy was like, Really? And they're like, No. <laughs> like, That's not how it works. Like, you have to want to be a follower of Jesus. You have to make it. We can't, like, accidentally, you know, push you into the water. And then one of the other guys said, Wait a minute. Like, do you want to be a Christian? And he said, Yeah. Why do you think I've been hanging out with you guys for two years? <laughs> That I'm, I'm curious is, do you realize that no one in our friend group ever asked me if I wanted to give my life to Christ? And he said, so there they were sitting on the side of the river, and one of the guys just started telling them about Jesus. Here's how much he loves you, bro. Here's what he's done for you. And they had this moment. They're by the side of the river. They got to baptize their friend. Now part of our church. This is, oh, God gave power. They'd ne never done that before. I think about moments when God has given some of you power to, to heal the sick. I mean, it, this, is, this will freak some of you out. And I don't, welcome to church. But uh, it's been an amazing thing this year how many people have been miraculously healed in our church family. Not because, thank you. Um, just this, this thing that happens, you know, where somebody comes, uh, comes up to prayer gathering every week. Man, I'm, I need God to touch my life. And we pray. We pray, and, and man, we've seen God um, cure people of brain tumors. Um, we, we have seen God turn around irreversible, irreversible cures. We've seen God put together marriages that were past gone. I mean, just miraculous stuff, just moments when the power of God just being manifest through ordinary lives so that Jesus could be made beautiful. Think, think about the ways that it's, it's happened in, in repentance. I think about one of the guys in our church, one of my, my closest friends at Ethos, when he first started showing up here, he was just a hellion. I mean, that was the way he would describe himself. Just, he, he didn't just live for the world. He organized living for the world, and he brought others in, in, into it. And uh, he showed up one Sunday, and God just broke his heart. And he became a follower of Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of his friends began to see his radically transformed life. And over the last five or six years, more people have become a part of ethos, more people have given their life to Jesus because of this one guy than maybe anybody else in our church because it's the power of Jesus displayed by a life that's being changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I go, this is the story that we get to live in. Do you feel incapable of sharing your faith? Welcome to the club. <laughs> Do you feel like the mission of God is too big for you? Welcome to the club. But do you believe that Jesus still wants to use you so that those around you can see the beauty of Christ within you? I guarantee you he does. I just want to ask you a question, and I want to be very careful with this question because the enemy would love to, to use this to make you feel condemned. That's not at all why I'm asking you this. I just, I just really want you to think about it. Um, who are you bringing to Christ? Who have you brought to Christ this year, maybe even in your life? Is anybody coming to Christ through you, 
Anybody coming to Christ because of you? If you're like the 16-year-old version of me, when I hear somebody say that, it's just like instant shame and guilt. Like, what do I do? And I go, no, don't, don't let that question push you there. Let it push you into the place that these early followers of Jesus did in Acts chapter 1 when they saw their inability, they saw the size of the mission, they saw the mandate of Christ upon them. You get to the end of Acts chapter 1 and they just get in the room, they're like, Jesus, we can't do this, can you help us? And Jesus says, yes. May your inability to live on mission with Jesus push you towards the only one who can help you live on mission with Jesus. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. I want to give us three really quick takeaways as we get ready for communion. Take notes who they are. Number one, Jesus is not surprised and he is not deterred by your inability to fulfill the mission. Jesus is not surprised and he's not deterred by your inability to fulfill the mission of God. Number two, the mission of Jesus has not been lowered based upon your inabilities. The mission of Jesus is far too big. It's far too grand. It is far too wide. Number three, Jesus still delights in giving you the Holy Spirit so that those around you can see the beauty of Jesus within you. Will you ask him for it? Will you ask him for more? Who in your life would have their life forever changed if you would be bold enough to receive the promises of Jesus in Acts chapter 1? Who would be forever changed? If you're a follower of Jesus and you don't know what to do this week, I go, just wake up each morning. Ask the Lord to give you more of his spirit. Ask the Lord to open up your eyes to the opportunities. Maybe it's to speak a word. Maybe it's to lay your hands on somebody to pray. Maybe it's to to show them something in community. Maybe it's to serve them. Maybe it's to suffer with them. Who knows what it is? But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you this week. Wake up every morning and just pray, God, would you give me more power, more of your Holy Spirit, so those around me can see the beauty of Jesus in me. So often these moments are only discovered when you actually get in the game, when you actually try it. Um, I started with that story of failing in the gas station in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, because you're going to have those moments, and I just want to encourage you, don't be discouraged with those moments. You're going to have moments when you leave going, oh, what was that about? And you go, okay, thank you, God, that, that you can work even through that. Keep stepping out with the Lord. For those of you that are not followers of Jesus, I just, I just want to encourage you. Jesus didn't just come to save you. He came to send you as well came to save you of all your sins and to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to send you out on mission. And so this morning, you can give your life to Christ, be filled with his Holy Spirit, and go back into your apartment or your family or your neighborhood or your workplace with power from God so that the people you know and love the best will see Jesus in you. That's an amazing gift that's available to every ordinary person that has failed the Lord like me in extraordinary ways. It's the gospel. It's open to every one of you. Let's pray together, and we'll get ready to take communion. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. God, would you fill us with power so that the people around us would see the beauty of Jesus in us. God, would you just use us? Would you send us far and wide? Would you send us to the ends of the earth, God? 
for the glory of Christ. Uh, thank you that this is true, that you are true and that you are good. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. And together we say, amen.